I want to I just get into our message on this morning, and this morning will, will be almost introductory of sorts, uh, and, and me saying that is, is me also wanting to not take up too much of the time, but this morning will be an introduction of sorts to what we'll be looking at as far as, as our preaching theme over the next few weeks and, and months, and so we, we will be spending a lot of time uh, during the fall, uh, this, this period, from, from now until uh, early December, we, we, we will be spending a lot of time uh, just, just diving into, delving into, preaching from the theme of discipleship. Uh, and, and I know this is a topic that easily kind of rolls off the tongues of, of Christians and non-Christians um, alike, but I, I honestly feel as if we have, we have yet to really scratch the surface of the iceberg that is this idea or this, this, this very important issue of discipleship. And so, you know, I, I want us to spend a lot of time uh, looking at some of these things. Of course, it's different if we're talking uh, preaching time versus teaching time. We'll be preaching along the theme of discipleship these next few Sundays, but beginning, of course, uh, next year, Lord Spear Life, we'll begin to look more in-depthly at the teaching aspect of discipleship. Uh, you know, as we think about this, this, this topic, I want us to appreciate that there is a lot of misunderstanding and misinformation concerning the idea or the topic of discipleship. Many, many individuals have resign themselves, for example, to get their definition from books by, by modern-day gurus or even formulate and postulate their own uh, ideas based on opinions, feelings, or what we would consider to be cursory readings of various texts in Scripture. Many, many individuals go about to, to formulate a definition, a, a working functioning definition in their lives based on norms and traditions that they have seen. That is to say, if I were to put it a different way, uh, we only associate for the most part discipleship with what we are accustomed to or, you know, what we feel more, most comfortable doing. And so really when we think about what this, these, these series of messages over the next few uh, weeks and the next couple months are geared towards doing, it is really for us uh, to grow in an appreciation and understanding of the totality, uh, hopefully, or at least gain a little bit more perspective in as far as the scope, the dynamics, as well as the duties of the disciple themselves, all right? Uh, and so I want us to be mindful of that. So we will be looking at discipleship. That's, that's the main theme. That's the main thrust. That's, that's the main idea that we'll be preaching through uh, for, the, for, for all of fall, pretty much. So keep that in mind uh, as we think through what will be happening, happening over these next few weeks. There is a song, I, I don't know it all too well, but it's, it's a song that I've, I've, I've listened to, uh, and it, it, it's, it's a potent song for me. It's, the words of the song go something like this. It says, learning to lean, learning to lean. Learning to lean on Jesus. This is, this is the line here that, that gets me every time. I'm finding more power than I've ever dreamed. Yes, I'm learning to lean on Jesus. 
like I said, I, I don't have the tune down just yet. I, I'll learn it well enough to where I could sing it and maybe teach it, but, but it's such a potent and such a powerful song because it talks about this reality of this particular person. Indeed, all of us, as, as we walk this Christian journey, it's all a process of us learning to lean on Jesus. And I really, as we think about the overarching theme that is discipleship, I want to at least for this month spend my preaching time dealing with the, the sub-theme or the subtopic that is learning to lean on Jesus. Is that all right? Learning to lean on Jesus. If you allow me just for a few minutes to just go through some of the preliminary thoughts and ideas, if not a, a very basic definition of the word disciple or disciple, uh, discipleship. The, the idea of a disciple in its very basic form is one who is a pupil or a learner. The, the, the Greek word that we often find that is translated for disciple is the Greek word mathetes, and, uh, and it simply means one who is a learner or a pupil or an adherent of someone else. The, is, the interesting thing about this word, as, as we think about generating some type of platform or foundation for our study and for our series, is we have to appreciate that this word could be very broad in scope. And as we think through Scripture, Scripture identifies to us that the way in which the word is used often isn't a reference to somebody who is a pupil, a follower, an adherent, or even a disciple of Jesus Christ. So not simply because you hear the word or the term disciple means that automatically you are speaking about someone who is a disciple or a follower or a pupil of specifically the Lord himself. The truth is Jesus, uh, allow me to do this really quickly, Jesus, uh, I'm seeing guys in the back doing this, I'm, I wasn't sure they were talking to me. Jesus, as we look at scripture, Jesus had many disciples, but out of the great multitude of disciples, he would have chosen a few which would ultimately have become his apostles. That's found, for example, in the book of Luke, chapter number 6, verses 12 and 13. But not only did Jesus have disciples, and I wanted to make this point because I think it's so vital to the, to the idea or to the topic of discipleship that we understand that anybody could be a disciple of, of somebody or something. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that that person or persons are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible makes a clear distinction between those who are claimed to be disciples and those who Jesus associates as being true disciples, or, depending on your version of Scripture, disciples indeed. And so in the book of Mark, chapter number 2 and verse number 18, we, we see that John the Baptist, or, or, or more accurately re referred to as John the Baptizer, the one who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, John had disciples. We also recognize from that text that, that even the Pharisees themselves had disciples of their own. So the Bible does talk about 
disciples, but not every single disciple is one who is an inherent or a, or a follower of Jesus Christ. Also, in the book of John, chapter number 9, I'm just kind of giving these texts out to set a foundation. That In John, chapter number 9, and in verse number 28, we, we recognize that the, even the Pharisees themselves, they claim to be the disciples of Moses, as opposed to being disciples, ultimately, of God. And so, the Pharisees were disciples of somebody. Uh, the Pharisees had disciples themselves. John claimed to have had disciples. And, and so, even Jesus had a number of disciples, but in as much as he had a number of disciples, not very many people in Jesus' life and ministry would have really taken kind to his teaching. So as far as, as, as far as we know, as, as much as the multitudes would have followed Jesus, not very many in the multitudes were really following because of his teaching. Paul understanding how easy it is and was for people to, to start to idolize other people, he, he uttered in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1, Be ye imitators of me as I imitate Christ. When he wrote to the brethren uh, in, in Corinth very early on in his letter, he understood that one of the big issues and, uh, that they had was division. Why was that? Because they were aligning themselves with, with some of their teachers and some of the individuals who would have baptized them. So, he's, he, you know, he talks about those who would have been followers of Apollos and, and Cephas, but ultimately he wants them to know that we need to be followers of Jesus Christ. So Paul recognizing how easy it is for us to, to lift people up on a pedestal, a pedestal that is, is only supposed to be reserved for Christ, for God, and even for the Holy Spirit. Paul says, listen, I need for you, even though I am an apostle myself, I need for you to recognize that you need to only follow me as much as I am also following Christ. So it's not me that you're really following. The person that we're really both following is Christ. So Paul, understanding that, he, he kind of takes himself, he uses himself as a model, but a true model of, uh, of the person that we need to be uh, following and fashioning our lives after is after the person of Jesus Christ. So I want us this morning to just look, and I know I, I've shared this in the past, at least on one occasion, but I want this to act as the basis of everything that we do going forward when it comes to our ideas and our foundation of what or who is a disciple. So I want to identify three identifying traits or marks of what I'm going to call a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Three identifying marks of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. My hope and trust is as we go through and we, 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 we kind of navigate our way through these several texts and through this topic of discipleship that we could gain a deeper appreciation for what a disciple is and we could also take stock of our lives and, and strive to develop a stronger relationship as disciples of Jesus Christ. So three identifying marks or traits of a true disciple. And I, I want to bring us into the Gospel of John for this. And we, we'll end where our scripture reading was, was taken from uh, this morning in the book of John chapter 15 verses 1 through 8. We'll end there, of course. And what a wonderful reading that was by 
uh, you know, by Ryan, when, when I asked him to do the scripture reading, you know, he was quick to, 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 to say, I'll do it. But in the same vein of, of saying, I'm willing to do it, he was quick to also mention, uh, you know, I've, I've never really stood before a crowd before. Uh, and if you've ever stood in front of a crowd, you know how intimidating that could be. So I, I told him, well, you know, as, as a good friend, as a brother, I won't leave you up here alone. And he was like, no, no, no. He reminded me of Isaiah right there. Um, you know, sometimes you try to help, and Isaiah, his thing now is, no, I got it, I got it, all right. So I, I stood close enough in case I saw the white of his eye, I would have, <laughs> I would have run up here to try and make it up in time. Uh, but I'm, I'm so grateful for Ryan and just all the brothers who continue week in, week out to volunteer their time and, uh, you know, to be here and to serve in so many various capacities. If you don't mind, join me in the book of John, chapter number 8. And as you make your way into chapter number 8, come down to verse number 31. I just want to give these three identifying marks of what even Christ himself would have ultimately uttered as being the marks of a true disciple. The marks of a true disciple. In John, chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, here is number 1. Jesus himself would utter the words after he would be speaking to those Jews who would have believed on him. He said, if, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It, it is my belief. Now, now this, is, this is Brother Patterson making a, a declarative statement here. You know, other people might, might have a different viewpoint, but it is my belief that we find within the context of the Gospel of John, not just some really potent information concerning Jesus and who Jesus is and his deity, but I, I believe with all my heart that John is taking the opportunity through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as well to teach some theological truths about what being a believer is all about and the lives that we have been called to lead and live. So in as much as, as John's gospel really identifies the deity or the godhood of, of Christ, within the confines of John's gospel is also some sound theology, some doctrinal things that, that would have been beneficial to the church then and is still very much beneficial to the church now. It's very systematic in its approach in the way that John develops some of these ideas and teachings. So if we think about John doing this in a very systematic way, I'm going to be doing more teaching this morning than, than my normal, just kind of going off the top, right? But, and so if, if, if we're thinking about this in terms of John very systematically teaching, uh, you know, some of these truths, if we're talking about discipleship, then here it is we find that John uses this one instance here to begin the foundation of what Jesus associates as being somebody who is a true disciple. Not just the, the, the typical follower or the person who claims to be a follower, but somebody who Jesus identifies with as being a follower. That's significant. Because even Jesus himself, according to Matthew's account, would say, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall do what? Enter into the kingdom of heaven. A lot of people could say Jesus on their lips. But it doesn't have to mean that there is a transformation in their hearts. So it's one thing to, to know about Jesus. It's one thing to mention the name of Jesus. It's another thing entirely to really give yourself in full submission to Jesus Christ. So I do believe that what John is doing in his text 
is he is also developing a very systematic approach to the idea of discipleship. And the very first thing John mentions that Jesus points out is that if you are to be a disciple, indeed a true disciple, you have to be someone who continues in my word. A disciple cannot claim to be a disciple if he or she is not an adherent to the word of God. A disciple cannot claim to be a true disciple if he or she doesn't see the word of truth to be the foundation on which we all stand. A disciple can't claim to be a true disciple if, if we have no knowledge of the very same thing that is supposed to free us and free us according to Jesus indeed. And so the word of truth is, is necessary to the foundation of every single person who claims to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If I have to put it on next way, we have to be people of the book. If Christians don't know what the word of God says, then could we really claim to be true disciples of Jesus Christ? And I'm saying that because I realize more and more as, as I've lived kind of long enough, you guys probably know, if you didn't know, I'm, I'm 38 years of age and, and that puts me in a good position to, to, to have lived through some times where we, we claim to be walking Bibles in the church. And, and what that meant when we claimed to be walking Bibles is that we knew what the book, the chapters, and the verses were. We could point somebody exactly to where they needed to be. But, but saying that was me, was me also recognizing that many a times just knowing book, chapter, and verse doesn't necessarily mean and didn't even mean back then that they had a true heart of discipleship. It's one thing to know truth and beat people with it. It's the next thing to know truth and understand that grace is applied where truth is given. And so for the church and our fellowship, and uh, this is going to be some rough stuff. I'm, I'm going to talk about our fellowship in, in, for a little while. In our fellowship in years gone by, we were known for some really dogmatic approaches in the way that we approach scripture. And so we were quick to quote verses and, and to tell you what the scripture says, what the scripture says. Well, well yes, I know the scripture says that, that one shouldn't, shouldn't bow down to false images. Yes, I know the scripture says that a man needs to be married to a woman. Yes, I know the scripture says uh, that there is only but one God. Yes, I know the scripture says that adultery is wrong. I know what the scripture says, but there is also a, a heart that goes along with scripture. All right? And so on one hand, I've, I've, been, I've lived long enough to, 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 to see and to be a part of the period where, where the church was very dogmatic in its approach. But now I'm living in a period, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going through the, the pendulum swing. Now I'm living in a period where it's almost like there's, there's little to no regard whatsoever for the word of, of, of scripture. So it's no longer about, well, the scripture is important. It's more about, well, this is how I feel it could be. It's more based on opinions and views and, and modern day, as I said in my introduction, modern day guruism. And, it, it, and so we've gone from having such a strict view of scripture, dare I say even pharisaical, to now we've, we've kind of gravitated for the most part to the, to the other side of the spectrum where it's, it's a free for all. There, 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 there is no standard. There, 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 there is no scripture. The, the word is not really relevant. It, it all depends on your relationship with you and your God. And so I'm, I'm, I've lived long enough to see us go from one extreme to now where the church is having to navigate the other extreme. And I'm, and I'm, saying, I'm saying to us, we need to find ourselves in a position where we're, we're in that moderate place. 
where we're conservative, where we need to be, because there are some things that, that, that Scripture is pretty clear on that we don't need to play with. Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. We don't need to play with that. Sin is still the thing that separates us between us and God. We don't need to play with that. Baptism is still the way, if you don't believe it, we'll talk about this later on in weeks, in weeks to come. Baptism is still very much the way in which a person goes from a place of being spiritually dead to now having life in Jesus Christ. We don't need to play with that. There are some things that the church needs to stay super ultra conservative on. But there is room in our conservatism for liberality. So in the church realm, in the religious realm, it's when we talk about religious conservatism, that needs to always be broached with grace and mercy. And when we talk about religious and church liberals, that needs to also be guided with grace and truth. So we ought to be people simply, if you get where I'm going with it, simply of the book. So Jesus said, if you continue in my word. The word if there is a conditional term. It, it simply means that you could choose to or if not, but the likelihood of the blessing is connected with your ability to stay with what I have given. So if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Dare I say, church, that truth is contained in the word, and when you put these together in your mind, it presents a situation and a scenario that frees us from the expectations and, dogma, and dogmas and, and traditions of mankind. I know this is true because the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they spent a lot of time in traditions, teaching traditions as if it were true. I know it's true because in the church, at times, we find ourselves teaching traditions and we uplift traditions as if the very tradition is the truth of God. So we need to be people, that's all I'm saying, we need to be people of the book. You, you, you need to love the word of God. You need to love scripture. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is, is the law of the Lord. We need to have a, a, a delight that loves the law and the word of Almighty God. That's a good place for you to say amen. We need to love the word and continue therein. But not only does Jesus say we need to continue in his word, that's, that's mark number one. But here is our second identifying trait. It's found actually in the book of John chapter number 13 verses 34 and 35. In John chapter number 13 verse 34 and 35, let me give you this really quickly. Jesus would utter the words, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. So the first identifying trait or mark of a true disciple is to continue in his word. Say continue. continue. The second identifying trait, he says, is to love. Now in the text, if we, if we, if we, have, to, if we have to be strong in, in context, then, then he is talking here to his disciples. He is saying that the disciples ought to love one another. Jesus is going to get them ready eventually for when it is the church 
would start up and they're going to have to navigate sharing this gospel, this, this life-saving truth. They're going to have to navigate the ability to, to share this gospel with everyone, not just people who, who they are comfortable with, not just people in their own people groups. But he's also getting them ready to not only take this gospel, this life-saving word to all of mankind, but he's also getting them ready for life under the purview of the Christian family. The same type of love that pushes us to take the gospel to the entire world is the same type of love that should cushion us to maintain and strengthen relationships in-house. <laughs> I like how you say amen because you're going to get rough here. <laughs> the same passion that will drive us externally is the same passion that should drive us internally. Some people have more passion for stuff that's happening externally than they do for things that are happening internally. So they don't say amen just yet. <laughs> it seems to me at times that a church could be most passionate about work that happens outside, but then we lose a sense of passion when it's work that's happening on the inside. So we'll get a lot of volunteers to go to, to out of state. But the volunteer pool becomes a little bit weaker when it's something that's happening internally. We, we, we could raise money real quick when it's a send to places like Africa and Asia and India and all these, and, and that's good, but but we, we, we take a whole lot of time when it's stuff that's happening locally and regionally. So he says the same love that you ought to have for those on the outside is the same love that you ought to have as well for those who are on the inside. The same way you could show grace and love for those on the outside is the same way you need to show grace and love to those on the inside. Hear me with this before I give you this third point. Do you think it bodes well for people who claim to be followers or disciples of Jesus to be so divided that we can't stand each other? So Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples indeed, if you have love one toward another. So that's parents loving their kids and kids loving their parents. That's husbands loving their wives and that's wives loving their husbands. That's brothers loving their sisters and sisters loving their brothers. I'm talking church now. That's, that's elders loving their congregants and congregants loving their elders. That's ministers loving their elders and elders loving their ministers. I'm, I'm telling you there are places where those dynamics don't really take place. But what do you think it's, it's going to happen when a church that claims to be and, and claims to have the name of Christ on, on its sign has divisions within it? So the true mark of a disciple is not just one who continues to, to, in the word of Christ, but the true mark of a disciple, number two, is one 
who showcases love as their modus operandi. But number three, if you don't mind, and the message will be ours. Come with me into the book of John chapter 15, and we'll conclude. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I want you, if you don't mind in your Bibles and in your pads, just to circle or identify the word fruit in this reading. Because I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Abide in me, he says, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. This part of this text takes me out every time. For without me, he says, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words... Abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, he says, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So, he says, you will be or shall be my disciples. I know that's where it ended. But listen a little more. As the father loved me. I have also loved you. He says, therefore, abide in my love. And if you can keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy, he says, may be full. So I want to suggest to us as a foundation, a, a platform for our discipleship series, I want to suggest to us that these three identifying traits offer us a good foundation and platform on which to stand when we think about the idea of discipleship. Number one, for those who are taking notes, Jesus utters to us that we need to continue in his word. Number two, he says we need to love one another as he loved us. And number three, he says, it is vital and it is important that you and I, as his disciples, bear much fruit. I want to ask us to stand at this time and I want to suggest to us as we think about the idea of fruit, as we think about the idea of fruit, we have a primary aspect of fruit, and then we have a secondary aspect of fruit. The primary idea of fruit, I believe, is this idea of cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. That's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, tenderness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, the Scripture says there is no law. So when he talks about fruit, he says, listen, if you abide in my word, 
you will cultivate love. And as you cultivate love, you'll also, by, 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 by nature, cultivate the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. As long as you continue to connect to my word, you are connecting to me. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. We, we need to abide in him, stay in him, and staying in him means we need to be plugged into the word. But watch this. So number one, the fruit, the primary idea of fruit and focus of fruit there is the fruit of the Spirit. That is what the Word is doing in us. That is what the Holy Spirit is helping to germinate in you and I. So, so mercy, grace, and all these other characteristical traits of God that, that as, as His followers we are supposed to cultivate, that only comes through the Holy Spirit and the Word working in us to transform our lives. So he says we need to bear much of that. The secondary idea of fruit is not just us growing in spiritual awareness and growth, but it's us recognizing the responsibility that you and I have to take this saving truth to others who don't have it. So, as I am transformed by the word, the word now compels me to share this word with somebody else. So D, as you are transformed by the word, the word now compels you to share that with friends to share that with family, to, to share that with individuals we will come into contact with. So the primary function of fruit there is that personal fruit of the Spirit. The secondary overflow of that fruit is we won't help but see the need to take this word of truth to our lost and dying world. So let this be the foundation. Let, let's get up. Bro. Let this be the foundation of this, this series, Learning to Lean. If, if we have to learn to lean on Jesus, we have to continue in his word. Say after me, continue in his word. We need to love 